A couple of years prior to COVID, I received an anonymous letter that seems freshly relevant as we emerge from the pandemic in a very different cultural moment than when we entered. It starts. A note for Stephen Bauman, Senior Minister of Christ Church. I'm writing to tell you how much your church has made an impact on my life for the last seven years. I work not too far from the church and would visit sometimes on my breaks or lunches. During the last seven years at this job, I've experienced some of the best times of my life, such as meeting my husband-to-be, the birth of my nieces and nephews, to some of my worst, my father's heart attack, my grandmother dying, my mother-in-law's breast cancer. When I needed a safe place to think, pray, find hope, get space, I would go to your church and light a candle and look at the beautiful mosaics or write names down on your prayer cards. This might not seem out of the ordinary, but I am not a member of your church or any church for that matter. I am not one for organized religion. But I do like churches for their community aspect, their refuge, their being a gathering place for hope. I have found all those things at your church. And now that I am moving on to a new chapter in my life, I wanted to say thank you and would like this anonymous donation to be put towards candles, please. As I'm sure over my time here, I have lit nearly a hundred. Thank you to your church for being a place of hope and solace. My dear friend also found the road to your church when she moved to New York, and she and I would discuss what a special place it is from our two different worlds, perspectives, faiths. I told her I wanted to thank your church for years now, and now that I will not be here much anymore since I am moving on to a new career, it's time I did it. So there it is, a nutshell snapshot of how your church has been an important place to me, and I thank you for that. I hope this donation helps bring light into other lives. Though she addressed her note to the senior minister, this sanctuary doesn't belong to me, of course. Our anonymous friend could just as easily have addressed her letter to each member of Christ Church who've thrown in with us over the years. That's one good reason to pass on the thank you. Periodically, I receive this sort of correspondence, and it's useful for you to know that if you're a contributing member of Christ Church, you minister in ways you hardly suspect. This points to how Christ Church serves as a true sanctuary for the city. That's one of its ministries, its physical presence, open and hospitable, welcoming all who enter a space of spiritual depth and transcendence. Many of you know this for yourselves. But I do note a glaring mistake in our anonymous friend's logic. It comes when she claims she is no fan of organized religion, but loves what our church does for her and evidently embodies she doesn't see the disconnect. It's a common thing, of course. I regularly hear a phrase like, the problem with organized religion is, or as she put it, I'm not one for organized religion. 
you probably hear it as well. Maybe even said it yourself at some point along the way. My favorite tongue-in-cheek rejoinder goes, well, I suppose you prefer disorganized religion then. And we'd have to agree there's plenty of that floating around in our culture. Disorganized, superficial religion and spiritualities, or even more pernicious, cult-like tribalisms, some under the banner of Christianity. So I, I understand the feeling in the complaint. I have said it more than once. There's certainly bad religion in the world, and there are a lot of flawed individuals practicing what is essentially good religion. In fact, the only sort of people I know practicing good religion are flawed, which makes organized religion subject to the full range of human potentials, much like an organized government or hospital or PTA or hedge fund or basketball team. I regularly remind you that everyone has a religion whether or not they're aware of it. It might be organized or disorganized, but there's no question every person has a fundamental set of core operating principles that motivates their various activities and perceptions of how the world works. Everyone has their god or gods to whom they offer daily obeisance. Our anonymous friend has hers. This was implied within her thank you. She was susceptible to receiving what we offer here. I say this because what we offer is embedded within these very walls, and she deeply appreciated what the enclosure of these walls afforded her. And these walls reflect an astonishingly long trajectory of human history. The story of Moses up there holding the Ten Commandments dates from around 1400 BCE. That's 3,500 years ago. The rest of our tradition flows, for, flows forward from there. So-called organized religion has produced this space we now inhabit. And that forward flow from the distant past involved many, many individuals, flawed though they be, passing on what they knew to a new generation. We call the best of what's been passed on wisdom or truth, embedded within a spiritual language involving symbols and rituals. The wisdom speaks of mystery, of things that are larger than our comprehension, holy things, sacred things, things that matter most of all. Things like love, for instance, as you heard Jesus recount today. It seems that our current generation, though offering longer life than any prior generation, has the shortest memory. It takes an act of will to wake up on a Sunday morning in the year 2021 in New York City and make our way to a place that honors wisdom gifts. Even tuning into this virtual worship experience, whenever that may be, seems like countercultural, radical behavior, even cutting edge. How so? How could something as stodgy as religion be cutting edge? Richard Niebuhr put it this way, the great spiritual revolutions come not by the discovery of something that was not known before. They happen when somebody takes radically something that was always there. And so the seeming stodgy tradition 
holds within its heart the formula for spiritual TNT. Have you ever witnessed someone who thought they stepped into church for some superficial reason and had their socks blown off by an encounter with a living God? I have. I've seen and heard it in here. Some of you have told me about it. Some are embarrassed to say so, that they went home in disarray and sockless. Imagine that happening in this old building that tells a much older story that stretches back far into the beginnings of human history. And as we've recently been wondering about the future of virtual church, we're still discovering the relationship between physical and virtual presence. Many have reported how meaningful virtual church has been for them over these last two years. But, but it's really important to affirm how this virtual worship is anchored in the tradition of a particular place and the people who have assembled there for a century. We think we're terribly clever, of course, susceptible to thinking that all important wisdom is brand new or yet to be discovered. In fact, there is no new wisdom. It's all old wisdom. That's why it's called wisdom. Truth with a capital T has been around for as long as humans have been conscious there is such a thing as truth. And the deepest truths don't change. People change, times change, tastes change, Weapons change, tools change, knowledge and technologies evolve, and so on. Lots of less important things change. But if I were to say, for instance, that the essential organizing principle for human life goes something like this, that we shall love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and that we shall love our neighbor as ourselves, does that sound like an out-of-date proverb? or a truth that holds within it the promise of a revolution in the present age. I tell you it's as fresh as a newborn baby and more potent than nuclear fission, and yet it's as ancient as humanity's ability to write it down. Three years ago last Wednesday, I participated in an interfaith prayer service at Sutton Place Synagogue about 10 blocks from here, as a response to the Tree of Life Synagogue massacre in Pittsburgh, where 11 people were killed and six wounded attending their weekly Shabbat. The service at Sutton Place followed a traditional Jewish pattern, but was led by Muslim, Christian, and Jewish clerics. A standing room only crowd assembled, every seat filled, upstairs and down, the walls completely lined with people. It was a very moving experience. Listening to the cantor intone the prayer for the dead, it occurred to me how important houses of worship are to the communal life of our city. If they did not exist, what could possibly take their place as points of assembly where the things that matter most were affirmed and celebrated, where ancient texts were shared that speak of the mystery of life and death and our place within the created order of things? It brought back the memory of the service we held here after the 9-11 catastrophe, the sanctuary crammed with people at noon, the Thursday following that fateful Tuesday. Most I had never seen before, but they wanted, needed to be here. And I was aware that they came because where else would they go to bring their profound anguish, confusion, and yearning?
Where else? Where else do we learn the rigorous disciplines of love? Here, for certain, and by extension, in this virtual space too, which underscores the importance of what we choose to honor with our time and energy and resources and focus and commitment. It matters a lot. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these.